0: Getting married doesn't reform bad dating habits, it only exacerbates them. It doesn't make them easier or better. Praise to the God who knows my name. Listen, whether it's sex before marriage, adultery, pornography, same sex sin, rape, incest, or pedophilia, people's lives are wrecked spiritually and emotionally by improper sexual behavior. And It always damages the people around you.
1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. God had faithfully taken the children of Israel out of their enslavement in Egypt and provided for them through the desert wilderness. He was revealing His ways to the children of Israel. God gave them His moral law and the civil law by which they would live by, We continue looking at the civil law as we join Pastor Will in Exodus chapter 22, verse 16.
0: Moses, as we had talked about, has entered into the thick cloud of God's presence to mediate the covenant between God and the nation of Israel. God has begun by giving the civil laws that would govern the landscape of the nations. The word judgments in verse 1 of chapter 21, it means legal rights. And we've been looking at these legal rights last week, and we're going to try to finish them up tonight. And we need to be reminded that these chapters serve as instructions to those judges that Moses had appointed. Remember when his father-in-law said, Moses, you're seeing every single person's problem. This is not good. You're going to wear out. The people are going to wear out. You need to appoint people over tens and over hundreds and over thousands, and then you'll just handle the most difficult matters. And so when Moses did that, these were their instructions. This served as Israel's bill of rights. And and as we look at their Bill of Rights, we must remember, though, that these civil laws do not govern Christian life because we don't have a national government. So what we're going to look for as we study through these things is how do these things point to Christ? What might we see in the New Testament that might correlate to this, where we see God's heart that never changes, that we might apply that to our lives. So 22, Exodus 22, verse 16. Now, if a man should entice a maid that is not betrothed and lie with her, he shall surely endow her to be his wife. Now, if her father utterly refused to give her unto him, he shall pay money according to the dowry of virgins." Shall not suffer a witch to live. Whosoever lies to the beast shall surely be put to death. He that sacrifices unto any God, save unto the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. All five of these verses are laws governing sexual conduct in the community. And the reason is, is because improper sexual conduct will destroy a community. He starts off by saying here regarding premarital sex. If a man entices a maid who is not betrothed and lie with her, well, then he shall surely endow her to be his wife. The word there, entice, means to seduce by charm or attraction. I thought that was a good kind of uh, launching point to have a discussion about opposite sex interaction between people who are not married. When the foundational element of opposite sex interaction is charm or attraction, you're going to end up in trouble, either before marriage or after marriage. Beforehand, because God created us to be attracted to one another for the purpose of procreation. You know, I always was kind of weirded out. I was, a, I was at Bible college, which we nicknamed bridal college. And there's a reason for that, because everybody's on the prowl. Seriously. Everybody's thinking, who's my wife? Who's my wife? Who's my wife? Who's my husband? Who's my husband? And and it gets weird sometimes. Like I was one of the very few people, fortunately enough, to be engaged when I got there. So I didn't have any of that junk going on. But I would have people coming to me, guys, and they would go, how did you know, bro? And I'd be like, she's beautiful and she loves Jesus. What else do I need to know? And it wasn't this complicated thing. And I remember there was one particular couple broke my heart. They were not attracted to each other at all. But they believe God had called them to be married. They were divorced three years later. God creates a natural sense of attractiveness there so that we would actually want to make children, so that we would have the purpose of procreation would be pleasurable in that sense. So there's the thought there that there should be a sense of attraction. There should be a sense of, of charm that is there. But the selfish emotions of attraction and charm, if that's all you have, well, that makes it difficult to fulfill that attraction in a God-pleasing way. And you can do something before you're married that you're not supposed to. Now, after marriage, if charm or attraction are all that brought you together, well, what happens when they're no longer treating you in a charming way anymore? Or you see some unattractive things about them. Many a bad marriage starts with the realization that you were hooked by superficial means and now you're bitter about having to live with the consequences. It's very important that opposite sex interaction be based on something else. 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2. Timothy, being a young pastor, Paul gives him this word of of command, this word of, of counsel. He says to him, Don't rebuke an older man, but entreat him as a father. Treat the younger men like brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger as sisters with all purity. When I talk to young people, particularly when they're interested in somebody, especially if they're quite underage, you know, if they're in their 15, 16 years old, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's nothing good that's probably going to come from any type of a romantic relationship at this point. I tell them, I said, cultivate a pure friendship, Cultivating friendship should be the basis of all of our relationships, including opposite-sex interaction. Because here's the thing. Then you can maintain purity whether natural attraction forms or not. And if you're drawn together, then you have a foundation for marriage that remains even in the midst of uncharming or unattractive things. You know, we taught our kids, our boys in particular, we teach some other things to our daughter, we taught them from a young age, don't be pining for a girlfriend when you're eight, right? Because there's only one way that ends, your broken heart. That's it. It's only one way that ends. Your broken heart, and so we encourage them build a good friendship with somebody, build a good relationship with them. And as you get older and you approach a marriageable age, if feelings start to develop, well, now you've got a good, solid foundation there. And it's not all about just the, Ooh, she makes me feel gushy. Because I guarantee you, when you wake up in the morning and you're lying next to her and she's got the things on her face or whatever, you're not going to feel all gushy or whatever. You might think your princess is amazing, but when she wakes up sprawled out with this and drool on the pillow. It just doesn't give you the same vibe. But when she's your best friend, and vice versa, when he's snoring, you know, peeling paint off the walls, and you're thinking, I married this? You know, I just want a good night's sleep now. (laughs) When you see that, but you look over and you smile because you go, that's my best friend. This is the love of my life because we're committed to each other, snoring and drooling and all. So... If you build that friendship, then if something happens that's different, you've got a good basis for your marriage if, if you move forward in that direction. Coming back to this text here, in Oriental culture, premarital sex was incredibly infrequent in Jewish society. Most marriages were arranged in other societies as well. Most marriages were arranged. And part of that bargain is that the young lady had to keep herself a virgin for her future husband. To violate that agreement was grounds for divorce and sometimes even death. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's how it was, as it was considered adultery in most cultures. When a man therefore seduced an unbetrothed woman into sex, it made her unmaritable. She would not be able to get married because she had been with a man before. So when God lays down this rule, he's setting boundaries for both the woman end her family's protection. He says, you need to endow her to be your wife. The word endow means to pay the bridal money, to pay the dowry money and take her as your wife. This leaves room, obviously, for honest mistakes. And it gave the man and the woman an opportunity to fix their wrong by doing something right, to fix a mistake by being responsible. But it was not a blanket rule that they had to get married. If it wasn't an honest mistake and the guy was a jerk, then God gave the family and the young lady another option. Verse 17. Now, if her father utterly Refused to give her unto him. I'm not, you're not marrying that guy. Then he shall pay her money still, according to the dowry of virgins, because it's going to be near impossible for her dad to find her a husband now because she's not a virgin anymore. Okay? So though it would be a cultural dishonor for his daughter, it would be better for her to be single or hope for a godly man who would come along who'd later overlook that indiscretion. And if the father chose that course, then the man would still have to pay her dowry so the father could take care of her. Um, It was almost in a sense like divorce money in advance. What's interesting about this is that this shows that men were designed by God to give our lives away, not to take things from people, not to take things from people. If you're not married and you're sleeping with a woman, you're stealing something from her, whether she realizes it or not. And I have to urge you, if you're a Christian, stop it. And if she's pressuring you to do this, then she's a taker as well. And I guarantee you this, selfishness is a horrendous foundation for a marriage. When you start off as two takers, it doesn't get better. Stop before it is too late. There is the thought that I've heard some Christians say that having sex makes two people married. The Bible does not teach this anywhere. A man and a woman's vows are what make them married. When sex is enjoyed in the context of marriage, it's a physical and an emotional expression of the one flesh relationship that God forms after two people make their vows. It doesn't make them married. There's also the thought out there that two people must get married if they cross this line. In our culture, In a better day, it was frequent though that you would, if your daughter got pregnant at a wedlock, you'd get married right away so that people wouldn't think anything or you would hide them in seclusion or do something like that. That is not the answer to this problem. That's attempting to fix one mistake with a second one. It would be far better to learn from that mistake and keep yourself pure for the right person in the future instead of marrying the wrong person now. Because here's the truth. (laughs) Getting married doesn't reform bad dating habits. It only exacerbates them. It doesn't make them easier or better. Next verse 18, you shall not suffer a witch to live. Now you might be saying, well, what does that have to do with sexual conduct in the community? Well, a witch is a woman who would engage in witchcraft or sorcery. And this is lumped in with sexual morality because the female who engaged in these pagan type of rituals, it almost always had a seduction element to it. So it's really the counter to the beginning. If a man seduces a guy, no good. If the gal does it as well, not get either. If a woman is found to be seducing men through witchcraft, then she's to get the death penalty. Now you might say, why such a harsh penalty? Well, it's because this type of behavior destroys lives. Our, our culture generally looks at sex as a physical act. They say, what's the big deal? It's two people consenting to physical desire. It's one night of love after the dancing out on the dance floor and you make a connection and you go your separate ways afterwards. It's no big deal. I shake my head about that because when you hear those same people say that, they also purport that it is an expression of love. That's what sex is. Why can't two people who love each other do this? Which is, by nature, not a physical act then, but an act of the soul. Yet, it's no big deal and has no lasting damage. Listen, whether it's sex before marriage, adultery, pornography, same-sex sin, rape, incest, or pedophilia, people's lives are wrecked spiritually and emotionally by improper sexual behavior it always damages the people around you. doesn't bother me. Well, it damages the people around you. That's why God gives these provisions. I remember I was was having a conversation with Pastor Gibb once because I was counseling a young lady and, and she had been intimate with a man before they were married. And this guy was an absolute loser. This guy was a jerk but she kept trying to redeem the relationship. He'd been unfaithful to her. He would go off the the grid for a while, but she kept trying to redeem the relationship. And I would keep telling her, leave this bozo behind. And I remember I said, I don't get it. What's going on? And he said, well, when two people come together like that in a way that's not biblical, an unholy bond is formed. You say, well, on paper, it doesn't make sense. Or they interview people and they say, oh, they don't have any problem with these things. You may not be able to see it right away because it's a spiritual problem. It's not a physical problem. That's why God says, don't do it. Next, it mentions, whosoever lies with a beast shall surely be put to death. Now, I got to this and I thought, do I really need to address this? But you know what? Sadly, I used to say the same thing about same-sex sexual activity. I used to be able to say, do I, we have to talk about you know, homosexual sin and, and, and lesbian sin? Do we have to talk about that today? And, and of course, you do have to talk about that today. Well, let me share something with you that hopefully will disturb you a bit. In 2011, when the Senate repealed the military's don't ask, don't tell policy, they also removed penalties to military men for adultery and bestiality. Fact whosoever lies with a beast shall surely be put to death. That's interesting because that's the same as God's warning to Adam and Eve in, in the garden. The day that you eat of this, you shall surely die. So what is God saying here? He's saying when a person does this, their internal moral compass has died. God gives a harsh penalty because they no longer have a moral compass to keep them from doing harm to others. If they're willing, and, and I, this is something that we know. You talk to psychologists and they know it. If you're willing to abuse an animal, you have no person; you have no problem abusing a person either. And that's just a fact. Next, verse 20, regarding pagan worship practices. He that sacrifices unto any god, save unto the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. Now again, it's lumped with sexual sin. Almost all of the Canaanite deities had sexual rites associated with the giving of their offerings. I don't want to go into any detail of what those were because it's not fit for mixed ears. But suffice it to say, the Lord lumps them together with other sexual behaviors that will negatively affect a society. And so they were to be destroyed. These are Israel's civil laws. They are not the Christian's laws. They are based on moral truths that don't change. In other words, when we talk about the proper place for sexuality, that doesn't change. You should wait till you're married. You should stay married. You should only do that with your spouse. You should not bring in things like pornography and other things into your marriage. This is a holy, spiritual, emotional expression in addition to a physical act. And it's, it's there for us to be unique and special with your spouse. That's it. Anything outside of that is no bueno, okay? But we don't put people to death or call for people to be put to death because of these things. We are not living under these laws. These were laws that were there to govern their civil conduct. They do not apply to us. Verse 21, now we move to laws governing the treatment of the less fortunate or minority groups. Verse 21, it says, you shall neither vex a stranger nor oppress him for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. The first group was foreigners. The word vex means to oppress or mistreat. See, part of God's wrath against Egypt was their treatment of Israel because they weren't Egyptians. Well, they're not us. They're not our kinsmen. We'll just make them slaves. God never intended for Israel to be so nationalistic that they thought others beneath them. God desired them to be a light to all the nations. Now, that's why in the church, there is no Jew or Gentile. God loves everyone and he wants everyone to be saved and we should never create any nationalistic barriers to that in our church. A foreigner should walk into our church and feel just as welcome as our kinsmen. That's how it should be. If someone looks different and they act a little different, whatever, they should feel just as welcome and just as invited as someone who talks and looks and acts like us. Next group, widows and orphans. Verse 22, you should not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any wise and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. Heavy penalties here. The word here afflict is actually a different word from vex, but it has the same idea, to mistreat or oppress. But it also carries the additional concept of to take advantage of. Listen. (laughs) We see it all the time. How many times have you heard about the phone call that comes in or the email that comes in to someone who's a widow or someone who's less fortunate? It seems like it might be the dream thing to get them out of all their problems. And so they jump in with both feet and it ends up being a scam. You know, God says, man, if they complain to me, you better watch out. (laughs) You better watch out. So the idea here is that the leaders in the land, the civil leaders, they should make sure they're taking care of these folks, Now, it was even more important for Israel because financial security was tied to one's land in Israel. Because of that, widows and orphans were left desolate. They were beggars. They had no land. So the leaders of Israel were to monitor this with severity because if these folks cried out to God for justice, he would judge the nation. Oh, fine, you don't want to take care of the people that have come on hardship and don't have any land? Fine, I'll take all your land away. That was what God basically said. I'll make all of you widows. I'll make all of you orphans. If you won't take care of them, I'll make sure they're taken care of. God hates oppression of any people, period, because in the end, they're all his creation. Jesus died for all men, and no one has the right to oppress another human being in light of that, which leads us to another disadvantaged group, the poor, verse 25. Now, if you lend money to any of my people that is poor by you, you shall not be to him as a user, a creditor, neither shall you lay upon him any usury or interest. And if you take of your neighbor's raiment to pledge or as collateral, you shall deliver it unto him back to him by the time the sun goes down. For that is his covering only. It is his raiment for his skin. Within what shall he sleep? And it shall come to pass that when he cries unto me that I will hear, for I am gracious. You know, I love this that the Lord says, If you shall lend money to any of my people that is poor by you, you know he says, They're my people. God owns the poor as his. Isn't that interesting? Jesus said, the son of man, when they said, I want to follow you, Jesus, he goes, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. I always kind of think that's kind of tragic for the prosperity teachers because they want to be rich like Jesus, you know? And I think, well, he had nowhere to lay his head, so you need to sell your mansion and go live outside. That's what Jesus did. He had nowhere to lay his head. He had to trust that someone would welcome him into his home every night because he had nowhere to lay his head. God desired the Israeli community to be one of generosity, not one of greed. And we should never speak ill of the poor. My heart breaks when I hear Christians speak ill of the poor. I used to be a Christian like that. I used to think, why don't they just stop doing drugs and stop doing alcohol and go get a job? And then I used to serve with an organization called Christian Help. Christian Help is an organization that helps those who are unemployed find work. In addition to that, you probably see what you're more familiar with what they do is the angel dove tree. You know, the, the trees that you find in the restaurants and stuff. So they're, they're responsible for that. They're part of the group that's responsible for that. As a pastor in the area, I was part of the exit interviews for that. So what I would do in the area is when a family would be adopted, a whole family, so not just a gift for a kid, but a whole family would be adopted where one family would buy them for all their family Christmas gifts. And when I do their exit interview after they would go and select the gifts for their kids, I would sit down with them and help them to write their thank you letter to the family. And so as such, I would get to share the gospel with them. I'd get to find out about what's going on in their life. Do you know how many people with graduate degrees and, and or, or you know, I've been for 20 years, have been successful construction business owners? I talked to during that. Well over 60% of the people I talked to were educated people, people who had good careers, and they either got injured, they fell on hard times, the economy and their particular area of work def- crashed, and as a result, they were left desolate. You know, they lost a loved one, they didn't have life insurance. I heard so many sad stories that just broke my heart, and God convicted me and said, Will, Just because they're poor doesn't mean they're in this mess by their choice. Now, some people are. Some people, and I've ministered to those folks too. Most of the people you interact with, they don't want to be in that situation. And even if they do, mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. Mercy is just being good to them. Proverbs 15, I just read this the other day in my devotions. Proverbs 15, 31, Solomon, the wisest man in all the earth, said this. Proverbs 14, 31, not 15. He that oppresses the poor reproaches his maker but he that honors him has mercy on the poor. In other words, if you're honoring the Lord, you're having mercy on the poor. Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. Truth is, you don't know that person's full story. And God, as he says here, for I am gracious, you won't listen to him, I will, because I'm gracious. God is gracious toward them, so we should be too. It's interesting, in the New Testament, Jesus talked about credit, he talked about lending. And he said that if we lend, we're not to expect the money back. That's what he said, not my words, his. Being a creditor and charging interest to someone who has a genuine need for help has no place in our lives as Christians. We should be characterized by generosity, not by covetousness or greed. People should see something very different in us. Verse 28, you would not usually think as this is a disadvantage or a minority group, but they are. He now speaks to leaders. He says, you should not revile the gods, or literally God himself. The word Elohim is a plural word, which is very fascinating when you consider the Trinity. The word for God in the Old Testament is Elohim. El is a singular word for God. Eloah is the dual word. And then Elohim is plural, which means more than two. Of course, we believe in a triune God, right? Elohim, more than two, three in one. So it's interesting that word is used. Sometimes it's also used for those who act on God's behalf, so Judges generally speaking, the translators have thought it means that. I think it just means the Lord himself. You shall not revile, show contempt or disgust for the Lord, nor curse the ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer. What is this about? Well, being an enforcer of the law can make you look like the bad guy sometimes, right? As a dad, I experienced that sometimes too. And you say something, the kids are like, oh, and you're like, yep, that's right. Big, mean daddy won't let you do something. Won't let you put your finger in the socket. You know, I'm big, mean daddy. So even no matter if you're right or not, you can look like the bad guy. And there might be a temptation for someone who, remember, they're not hearing this from God. And Moses comes down and he starts saying the laws. And then maybe you do something, you get in trouble. There might be the temptation for someone who's being prosecuted to be angry at God or Israel or the leaders of Israel for these laws. And so God's saying, I've designed your lives to be in submission to me. So you need to put me first in everything. Don't dishonor your leaders. Don't speak bad of them. You need to put me first in your life. And so he says in verse 29, you shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe fruits and of your liquors, the firstborn of your sons. Remember at this time, the Levites had not been chosen yet. The priesthood would come from the firstborn son of every Israeli. You shall give it to me. Likewise, shall you do with your oxen and with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with his dam or the mother, and on the eighth day you shall give it to me. For you shall be holy men unto me. Neither shall you eat any flesh that is torn of beasts in the field. You shall cast it to the dogs. The question that we ask ourselves when we look at this the principle that God should be first applies to our lives always, not just here. And so, is God first in our finances? Is he first in, in your career? Is he first in my family? Is he first in my possessions? That's all the things that, that Moses lists out here. He should be because we're holy men too. The Bible says you are a chosen generation, a holy people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Holy means dedicated to the Lord. God wanted Israeli society to be dedicated to him because only then would it be a healthy society. And as Christians, we should be fully yielded to him, fully dedicated to him, fully surrendered to him because only then will our Christian lives be healthy as well. Now, it's interesting, we got this weird part at the end. By the way, don't need anything that's torn to the beast in the field. Give it to the dogs. I read that, and I thought, that's an odd thing to just throw in there. But then I started looking at the context. You know, so many of the pagan nations that Israel would later supplant and the nations around them, they lived like animals. And you know what? God didn't design us to be like animals, just moving around after whatever it is. You know, need a woman, need of this, need of that, need food, whatever. You know, God didn't design us to be that way, just to follow our desires like an animal would, like an animal in heat. And so what he says here is he's saying, listen, I made you in my image with the capacity to reason and choose. An animal goes by instinct. We're not to live that way. So I believe this, why this last comment forbidding the eating of a torn animal is thrown in to remind us we're not animals. Okay. If you come across an animal in the field, that's been killed basically by another wild animal, don't go and start digging in, go give it to the dogs and be a human being. Chapter 23, verse 1. Now we get to laws concerning civil disputes. And in these nine verses, it's nine different principles here. Number one, tell the truth. You shall not raise a false report. In other words, a report that has no foundation. The internet would have been illegal in Israeli society. You shall not raise a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous or an unjust witness. So tell the truth. Always tell the truth. Don't mingle the truth, don't twist the truth, don't lie. Tell the truth, give a true report.
1: Remember, we don't live by the civil law given to the children of Israel, but God desires us to do right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. All these laws pointed to God's heart towards mankind. We should have a heart that follows God's lead in loving one another and caring for the less fortunate or oppressed. While we are in this time of a global pandemic, don't be afraid to call and ask for assistance or for prayer. Our office may be closed, but you can still reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.